for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with Your Financial Editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com is where it streams and also uh, go to uh, Apple Podcast and you can get the program as a podcast there. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us. Hope your weekend's uh, just going fine and uh, we have a good program for you today. We're going to be talking about some top stories of this past week, some economic data, a little bit of Federal Reserve stuff. And then joining me in just a little bit, Senior Fellow of the Manhattan Institute, um, Mr. Mark Mills. He uh, has been on the program before. He was on earlier this year talking about electric vehicle batteries in particular. And uh, we're going to continue that conversation with an update on really what is this um, transfer uh, of traditional energy into um, some of these other proposed energies, uh, what's it really going to cost and what's the um, the impact on, on Earth uh, with some of these uh, various procedures that they're talking about putting in place? Uh, so we're going to be talking about all that in just a little bit, so stay tuned for that. Um, you know, talking about inflation is extremely important just it's important and to tell you the truth it's all over the place i mean no matter who you talk to people are uh, are, are are really kind of ranting uh and pushing back about all of these higher prices that are being paid gas prices uh jumped across the nation again uh this week we saw oil hit seven-year highs uh gas uh below three dollars per gallon only existed in eight states, seven or eight states. So this is something across the whole country. And really, to tell you the truth, um, because of the world being awash and so much stimulus money, it's not just here. It goes outside of our borders as well. But our borders is what I care about. So that's what I was going to bring up. The average price of gas across the nation uh, was over $3.25 per gallon, um, according to Gas Buddy. And prices are up more than $1 a gallon from a year ago. Um, now, that was data compiled from more than 150,000 gas stations across the country. So this is very, very uh, deep and wide as far as looking at this survey and just uh, who is included in it. Um, at the same time, the nation's gas prices were also pushed to their highest since 2014 because of OPEC's decision not to raise production more than it had already agreed to back in July. So unfortunately, the uh, current administration is groveling to uh, OPEC and to other oil producing countries to, hey, can you guys please produce more oil? Excuse me. At the same time, they're shutting our production down. It makes no sense whatsoever. Shuts down our pipeline, our drilling leases, allows Russia to do the underground pipeline in the Baltic Sea to Europe to strengthen their position. But we're weakened, not even to mention the transfer of wealth that we're, um, you know, involved in again. Here we were energy independent and exporting oil, and now we're transferring that wealth to OPEC 
uh, those OPEC nations and non-OPEC nations. It's just it's sickening, and it makes no sense whatsoever. It's the most backwards, weakening thing for America uh, that I've seen happen in quite some time. Um, and it's not just energy prices. You know, there are other um, pr- uh, price increases when it comes to inflation. For example, this week, the CEO of Kraft Heinz said that you, the consumer, you need to prepare for permanent increases in food prices. So he was saying that uh, they have inflation across the board. It's leading to price increases. Uh, The Food and Agricultural Organization marked an increase in the food price index just in the month of September, up 1.2% from the same month last year. Um, But again, this CEO is saying, look, uh, we're we're raising prices where necessary, um, and it's going to continue, and you should get used to it, which, again, you don't want to hear. Um, but that is what we're hearing. Um, also, the Energy Information Administration warned us this week that the cost of heating oil is expected to rise about 43% compared to last year. Why? Higher fuel cost. Uh, meanwhile, the agency expects propane cost to rise by 54% and natural gas to rise by 30%. So... The bottom line, according to their winter fuels outlook, the average U.S. household is expected to spend about $1,734 during the winter season alone. And that's just, again, the, the average household. And nearly half of the U.S. households that use natural gas could potentially spend 50% more if we have a cooler winter. Um, So you see food prices, you see energy prices. Um, It's just, it's a a real, real bad place to be right now. And what do we have? We have um, people elected and appointed officials that are saying, yeah, we're going to get a committee together and talk about this for a little bit, maybe issue a couple more reports on it. There's nothing really as far as the action. The stuff that's going on in the L.A. port, um, they were already working six days a week, double shifts. I don't know why people don't point that out. I saw an interview at the beginning of the week, or maybe it was last week, with the guy that is in charge of the ports out there. And he was trying to, like, talk everything down. Obviously, he'd love to get a job with the administration. But he admitted, look, we're already working Uh, six days a week and double shifts and all the overtime. So it wasn't a big deal to say we're going to go to seven days and 24 hours. They weren't far from that anyway. Um, And to tell you the truth, we've been talking about inflation here on the program and on the Morning News Express since uh, at least March in a loud way. So, you know, you wait eight months or seven, eight, nine months to get around to doing things, no wonder you're trying to play catch up. No leadership, no forethought whatsoever. Um, We also saw, it was interesting, some pushback when you get into the culture war. Uh, Two major leftist organizations launched ads targeting AT&T for condemning it uh, for contributing to the campaigns of Texas Republican lawmakers, um, that's because they sponsored the SB8, 
that's the law that uh, bans abortions after six weeks of gestation when doctors can detect a uh, fatal heartbeat. So the organization also plans to hit Walt Disney and NBC Universal over donations that those companies made to Republicans sponsoring a similar abortion bill in Florida. Now, AT&T came out and said it has not taken a position on the abortion law, and all three of the corporations contributed heavily to Democrats as well as Republicans in the 2020 election cycle. So, you know, again, my experience, this is just another example of uh, extortion. goes back to, you know, the 70s and the 80s where if you didn't do something, you were going to be boycotted. Um, and that's what uh, these uh, leftist organizations are trying to do now. Also, in the culture war, uh, there's a Netflix producer. Um, he, his name is John Patrick Moore, uh, but he goes by Jacqueline now. And he declared on Twitter uh, that he wasn't going to work any longer with Netflix because of the release of Dave Chappelle's comedy special, The Closer, which um, this John Patrick Moore argues included transphobic comments. So um, this is one of the things that, you know, you see where people are trying to uh, push people out of whatever their profession is or whatever it might be because they don't agree with uh the way they live their lives and the things they believe in. It's not going to happen with Dave Chappelle. He's not going to cave to it. Um, you know, this John Patrick Moore guy, it, he's just, for whatever reason, wanting more attention and, you know, trying to um, get his face out there. I mean, this is a guy who he served as executive producer and the showrunner of Dear White People. Um, and he worked for Netflix doing things for like four years. So it's the same questions about a bunch of the nonsense in streaming these days. Uh, same with with commercials, for example, how we're marketed to. Madison Avenue is, Madison Avenue, New York City, is obviously the Hollywood of the East Coast. So you can see when commercials come on every day, all day long, they're trying to make it look like America is living and functioning a certain way, and it's really not true. It's uh, dis- disproportionate. Uh, it's it's false. It's misleading. Um, and again, I, AT&T is really a liberal organization, so I give them credit for saying, hey, we contributed to Democrats and Republicans during the 2020 election cycle, like they always do, uh, and not being, you know, kind of browbeated uh, down to the ground because of uh, these two leftist organizations. Um, so that's something we'll we'll continue to watch and keep a close eye on. Something else is just insane. Uh, Walgreens, uh, which they came out with their earnings this week, and I'll touch on that in a minute. But on Tuesday, they said they're closing five more stores in San Francisco locations because of the rampant organized theft across the city. So Walgreens basically said, look, due to ongoing organized retail crime, we have made the difficult decision to close five stores across San Francisco. Um, Each store will transfer prescriptions to a nearby Walgreens location within a mile radius, and we expect to place the store's team members 
in other nearby locations. So now because of all these thieves, not only are they thieves uh, in broad daylight and don't care, but people that need prescriptions are going to have to go further to get them. People that have jobs are going to have to be relocated. They've already closed down uh, more than 10 of their locations since the, uh, the stealing and the rioting uh, started in San Francisco. So why, you ask? Well, one, just like many cities, you have pathetic uh, states of attorneys that are or district attorneys that are actually uh, processing. Well, they're not actually uh, processing and prosecuting these criminals. They're letting them out so they can do it again. So here's what happened. Shoplifters in San Francisco have really just been emboldened by a statewide referendum that lowered the penalty for stealing goods worth less than $950, taking it from a felony to a misdemeanor. So that's why you're seeing these videos uh, real time, often, where people are stealing, literally just putting stuff off the shelves into their bags or whatever they have, and walking or running out of the store. Just thieves getting away with it, reselling that merchandise. Guess who pays for that? You do, with higher prices down the road. And also, you pay for it for these people in San Francisco and other areas that, like I said, have to go further, if they're able, physically, um, to get their prescriptions and their medicines. Sick, isn't it? It's crazy. Uh, we also saw, uh, it's not even, even a doubling down, it's probably a quadrupling down from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen continuing her, her pitch for the Biden administration's proposal that would require banks to report every customer's transactions of $600 or more to the IRS. So she was on CBS News. She asked, uh, she was asked, um, does this mean that the government is trying to peek into our pocketbooks if you want to look at $600 transactions? So Yellen says, absolutely not. I think this proposal has been seriously mischaracterized. The proposal involves no reporting of individual transactions of any individual. That's a lie. They, in this bill, they're telling banks to report transactions of $600 or more either coming in or going out to the IRS plus the billions and billions of dollars that's in this uh, wish list spending bill so that they can make the IRS bigger, which is definitely not necessary. So uh, Janet Yellen continues just to do uh, a terrible job as Treasury Secretary just like she did when she was uh, the chair of the Federal Reserve um, and when she was on the board before that for San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank, uh, just a total sellout to this administration and uh, the Obama administration when she was there. It's just, it's really, really a shame. Um, but uh, I was glad that a lot of people realized that she was not telling the truth and push back on it. So we kicked off the uh, new earnings season this week. A uh, lot of big uh, banks that really got us going. Um, so we saw the first one was J.P. Morgan. They topped analyst expectations handily. Bank of America beat analyst earnings estimates. Um, and then you saw Citigroup 
they uh, delivered an earnings surprise of over 30% in the uh, the third quarter. Uh, Wells Fargo even beat analyst expectations for third quarter profit. Still having problems there at that bank, but things looked a little bit better in this report. And then, as I mentioned, Walgreens reported uh, earnings this week that exceeded expectations. Um, and as I mentioned, even though they're um, – having problems and closing stores because of thieves. Um, So anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, some economic data and Fed talk. Never thought I'd be calling you up today. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and also go to uh, Apple Podcast. And you can get the program uh, as a podcast there. And uh, I forgot to mention, excuse me, forgot to mention right before the break, our latest complimentary takeaway for you, inflation and your retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? Which, of course, we're right in the throes of that right now. So uh, it's a complimentary white uh, paper for you. It's on the homepage. Just go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and click that box and you'll get that instant download to your uh, to your email. So enjoy that. And, you know, when we look at the economic data of this week, uh, we saw that um, overall optimism among small business owners edged down a little bit last month, uh, while the level of confidence in the next six months ahead, as far as their outlook for business conditions, fell to a nine-year low. That's because of inflation. That's because of hiring difficulties. Uh, that took a bite out of the sentiment for the National Federation of Independent Business uh, Owners, that, that index that comes out. Um, so it was down one percentage point to 99.1 in September. Uh, the NFIB chief economist who's been on the program before here was saying that small business owners are doing their best to meet the needs of customers but are unable to hire workers or receive the needed supplies and inventories. Um, Just some real problems for those uh, small business owners. And it's a shame because they're the backbone of, uh, of this country for sure. And they can't just go and raise money in the capital markets or get some crazy amount uh, as far as a line of credit, like these uh, big corporations can do. So uh, it's really, really becoming crunch time for these small businesses, especially as we get closer to Christmas. So we'll keep an eye on that. The U.S. consumer prices, the CPI index in September, accelerated at the fastest annual pace we've seen in 13 years, according to the Labor Department. So over the past 12 months, prices were up 5.4% matching the largest year-over-year gain since 2008. Then you look at the PPI, so that's the CPI for the consumer. Then you look at the producer price index, which is the wholesale level. Uh, there's That producer price index rose at the fastest annual pace on record 
for the sixth straight month. Transitory, temporary, garbage. That's all garbage. And we started talking about that months and months ago, telling you that um, that inflation was coming like a tsunami, and it's here, and it's going to get worse. And I don't know about you, but I don't think six months of something is temporary when it comes to, especially when it comes to higher prices. You know, I think temporarily, okay, gas prices are going to be up for five days or two weeks maybe, okay. But no, no. They're telling us it's going to be transitory, temporary. And, of course, as I mentioned, fastest annual pace on record for the sixth straight month in September. The producer price index was up, or I should say surged. That's a better uh, better word. 8.6% year over year, according to the Labor Department. Inflation's here, and it's very real, and... There's no leadership to help with it, not in the administration, not at the Federal Reserve, nowhere to be found. One thing that was a little bit of uh, hopeful news is the number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits dropped to a new virus low last week, dipping below 300,000 for the first time since May 2020. So Again, the Labor Department came in and said that last week, 293,000 people filed for first-time jobless claims. Now, below 300, great. That's good. I mean, like I said, that you know, that's a good thing. But it's nowhere near the average of 220,000 we had before the virus came here from China. So it's it dropped i hope it continues to get better mainly because i hope it's a result of ending all the extra federal money that was being paid to people to not work which was just stupid um so hopefully like i said that's a trend that will uh continue we'll have to wait and see um as far as the federal reserve you know we got the minutes from their last meeting which was the 21st and 22nd of september uh, there seems to be a lot of agreement that they should start tapering. All that means is um, stop stop spending so much money every single month. So what they want to do is taper or pull back that $120 billion they're spending every month to prop up the financial markets and, of course, keeping interest rates um, basically at zero or thereabouts. Uh, if they don't start doing something with interest rates to try to uh, combat the inflation we have, they're going to have a massive problem. I mean, the horse is already out of the barn, and we've got um, inflation, and they're, they're, they're not even talking about doing anything with interest rates, just maybe – This time next year, maybe we'll raise interest rates a little bit, basically, is what they were trying to convey. Um, Every recession that we've had, except for the virus recession, which was self-induced, but every other one was previewed with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and sometimes very aggressively. And they wait too long to do it, and then they overshoot and tighten too much or raise too much 
that causes a recession. So they act like they know what they're doing. They don't. This is all political with the administration, the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, et cetera. And um, it's very, very detrimental to um, to Americans. And I don't know if you saw this Klain guy, the chief of staff for Biden, retweeted a tweet that said that inflation is only hurting the upper class. Is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life? Rich people don't care about inflation. Who would even say that? Who would retweet retweet it? Inflation hurts poor people. Inflation hurts fixed income people. Inflation hurts single parents, etc. That's who supposedly they say they're working for, uh, which is a lie. That's who it hurts. And they don't care. So instead, they lie again and say, oh, it's only impacting the upper class. Man, crazy stuff, isn't it? The latest uh, complimentary white paper for you, inflation and your retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? It's only an eight-page read, but I think you'll find it very helpful uh, if you're in retirement or close to it. And um, when we come back, more good stuff. Be talking with uh, my guest this morning, senior fellow with the Manhattan Institute, Mr. Mark Mills, about this transition of, um, or I should say, into new energy, alternative energy, the Green New Deal. How much is that going to cost? How effective is it going to be? That's what we're going to talk about. Also, he's got a really good new book out, uh, or that's coming out, and we'll uh, talk about that as well. So we'll see you on the other side of the break. My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they tell me how to shoot. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also go to uh, Apple Podcast and you can get the program as a podcast and uh, re-listen to it or share it, uh, whatever uh, suits you. Um, and as I mentioned right before the news break there, we were going to be jumping in uh, to our discussion with our guest this morning, Mr. Mark Mills. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a faculty fellow at Northwestern University's McCormick School of Engineering and Applied Science. You've probably seen him on TV, heard him on the radio, read his stuff, whether it's in the Wall Street Journal, U.S. USA Today, etc. Um, he actually served in the White House Science Office under the great President Ronald Reagan, and um, he holds a degree in physics from Queens University. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Uh, I don't know. Ronald Reagan really dates me now. <laughs> no, man. What a great guy. I love it. I have a big picture of him up in my home office, and uh, he was uh, quoting um, a James Madison uh, quote, and you know, he just—I think he did such great things for the country uh, and the world. Did you enjoy working for him? Well, I was—I uh, was very young, uh, practically in diapers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I did. It was uh, 
you know, I did not meet him. The kids uh, in the science office were kept in their boxes doing their work. And uh, as I remember, shortly after I left, and I think Peggy Newton had left, she was a speechwriter, as you know. She also never met the president, and she wrote one of her other columns. It just kept the kids in their boxes doing their work. But it was it was an incredible experience in, in the sense of understanding governance and how government works, which I advise a lot of young men of women to do if they have a chance in any part of government. And it was also, obviously, in hindsight, uh, a privilege, given what he achieved, what he did, the, sort of the benchmarks created both for good principles of governance, but also a sensible and uh, incredibly efficient management of an enterprise like the White House. It's That's a whole separate story, as you know. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, the last time you uh, joined us on the program earlier this year, uh, we were talking about uh, the same uh, subject matter as far as electric vehicles and batteries and uh, different types of um, of energy that's being proposed and alternatives. And one of the things that I have never been able to get out of my mind and that I've shared countless times is uh, when you explained uh, to myself in the audience that um, uh, average car battery, electric car battery, is about 1,000 pounds once it's uh, completed. But it takes about 500,000 pounds of Mother Earth to, from beginning to end in that process to come up with that. Yeah, I know. It's a, you know, it's remarkable. I mean, it's not surprising when you think about it, if you thought about the amount of material it takes to make a microprocessor versus you're making, I don't know, a hammer. I mean, obviously, these, the more exotic the product, the more complex it is, the more exotic minerals it has in it, the more materials hidden upstream that you need to do, you know, build these things. It's it's sort of the hallmark of modern civilization that we've gone from, you know, natural materials to these synthetic materials, which is good, by the way. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a, I think this is a, a mark of progress, but it has it has a hidden feature that all the um, political, economic, environmental features of a thing like a big car battery are hidden. They're all upstream in the hundreds of thousands of pounds of industrial mining activity, transportation, and processing needed just to make one car battery. And imagine making millions. So we get to gigatons of mining to make the millions of vehicles that people contemplate being on the road, being propelled by, you know, the magical battery. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. Like I said, I've never been able to get it out of my mind, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners um, uh, took it that way as well. Very, very impactful to think, you know, what does it take um, as we're kind of forced down this new direction or trying to be forced down the road of, um, of electric vehicles, for example? And again, as a refresher for people in case they missed that conversation we had a while back, you know, the other thing is where is the material going to come from? Um, do we have it here? How long? I think you were alluding when we spoke, you know, nine to 10 years just to try to get the necessary facilities up to speed. Um, it sounds like that could actually get worse because of new uh, 
rules and regulations and red tape that may be coming our way uh, based on some of the conversations that I've heard? No, I think the, the, there's a, a an odd sort of impression I get, uh, odd, an odd sense, I get an impression, I'll rather, <laughs> that uh, people think the battery is sort of magical. You know, it doesn't, it, you just have the sense that it's, it's just there. We can assemble them in America. So make it, we do, you know, there's plans to make new battery factories in the United States. Ford announced some, and uh, will, will probably happen, and there's others. But most most of the things that matter, the upstream chemicals, the, the input materials for the batteries, are all produced elsewhere. They're all almost all mined elsewhere. All the processing is done elsewhere. The biggest single player in the processing of these minerals to make them useful for batteries is China and other Asian countries, but mostly China's the utterly dominant player in the supply chain of critical minerals processing to make lithium batteries. So imagine if I were to say we're going to build more car manufacturing plants in the United States, which was the goal that Reagan set out, by the way, as you probably recall. But uh, we were going to continue to get all of our gasoline from foreign sources. It's essentially what we're doing now. We're now, now that we're energy independent, in fact, export oil and gas, natural gas. We're now forging a path to build more battery uh, plants to make electric cars in America, but we're going to import all the materials to make it possible to build them. It's not a great plan, in my opinion, but I don't think most people realize that's, in fact, what the plan is, because, to your point, to build the facilities and open the mines doesn't just take five or ten years. Uh, the average globally to open a new mine to make all these minerals is 16 years. In the United States, it's about 20, 25 years. So the demand for minerals needed to make these batteries exceeds not only all the known production in the world for these minerals, it actually exceeds, in some cases, the known reserves that we've mapped out for some of the key minerals. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It just makes my my head hurt thinking that, again, if we have these supply chain problems right now that we're dealing with, it's real time, and we understand just how painful and dangerous it can be. Um, you know, I'd said back so, uh, a year ago or so that if there's silver linings that come from tragic events like the virus making its way here and whatnot, and one of them was, uh, you know, having certain having control of certain supply chains and materials and things of that nature. It was vital when we learned that lesson, but I don't know, did we really learn it if, in fact, like you said, I mean, you use the word dominant when it comes to China being involved in this process. That's pretty scary to me. Well, the supply chain lesson, I agree with you. It's a, uh, to the extent you can have a silver lining from a pandemic, which uh, we we have to take solace wherever we can, obviously, but I agree. I think we, I think it is a good thing that we've woken up to supply chain vulnerabilities. A lot of businesses are now thinking in terms of not the so-called just-in-time supply of key materials, but just-in-case supply. Uh, Toyota, by the way, people talk, read a lot about the microchip, the microprocessor shortage to build cars and all the great features in cars. Toyota didn't face that problem because they've always required their suppliers, and of course they, they try the funding for it, to have a six-month inventory of critical components to go in the supply chain. So if you think that logic through to everything, including, say, gasoline, we, we are uh, not only independent, we're, uh, we are the, we are, until 
I think we still are this week. <laughs> We're slowly shrinking. But we, we are the world's dominant producer of hydrocarbons, oil, gas, oil products, natural gas. We, we just utterly uh, are. It's just a remarkable shift in the last decade or two. But we are not the dominant producer of energy minerals to make solar panels, wind turbines, and batteries for cars. China is. I don't think that's any accident China's noticed that. I, don't, I think it's not only not an accident. I suspect it's deliberate. Um, and it's it's a strategically, economically uh, very smart on their part, and uh, frankly, the inverse, rather dumb on our part, not to notice that this is what's been going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's frustrating um, when you see where the kind of the power is going um, and what we're we're losing, uh, which uh, is it is a lot of control over uh, the energy, as you mentioned. I was looking at some things uh, earlier this week from the Energy Information Administration saying that uh, you know, they were warning that the cost of heating oil is expected to rise approximately 43% compared to last year. And um, depending if we have a colder than average uh, winter, 50% more in yeah. cost. So uh, yeah. that's really scary for, um, as I always point out, people on fixed income. Poor, oh, poor people, yeah. you know, single moms and, and whatnot. Yeah. It's it's frustrating. No, energy energy costs are – what we really want is a society where energy is free because it's essential, like food. Right. right. But what we end up with is we, we hope our systems that make it um, a de minimis cost to society at large and especially to people on lower income brackets and fixed income. And we, we achieve that. And the way you achieve that is you oversupply. That's still, I mean, it's uncomplicated. You don't control demand. If you really want to get prices come down, you you let supply run ahead of demand. By by let, I mean you have to have markets that allow entrepreneurs and businesses to, in fact, compete and oversupply. We did that with food a long time ago. The United States is is the world's you know, biggest the so-called breadbasket that people talked about for years and years. And it didn't become vogue to talk about it because we got used to food being cheap and largely courtesy of um, America's role in, uh, in grain production, but also technology uh, of, uh, in the agriculture sector. The same thing happened in oil and gas. I mean, we, we America, oversupplied the world starting about a decade ago with a rapid ramp of the technology that's, you know, so foolishly called hydraulic fracking, fracturing. But, so fra fracking unlocked massive quantities of oil and gas in America. We oversupplied the world. Prices collapsed, stayed down. But we, we're in an environment where the producers are facing a lot of headwinds and are even where they're not facing headwinds today, and there are more headwinds for them. Look at the cancellation of pipelines by this administration. But they're worried that there'll be more headwinds, so you just you just hold back, which is what they're doing. Yep. So supply goes, supply shrinks, prices go up. Right, and and unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of that. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I uh, just want to let you know you can go to Manhattan-Institute.org and uh, just type in Mark Mills, M-I-L-L-S. And you'll see uh, Mark's latest comment, uh, commentary and uh, some testimony when he was before the U.S. Senate Committee on Energy and Natural Resources. Uh, just a lot of good stuff that you can uh, read for free. 
and get filled in as to what's going on. When we come back, we'll talk about one of the pieces that he just wrote and also let you know about uh, his new book and, um, and of course, how to get it because I think you really um, are going to want to. We'll be back in a minute. weather and free talk right now 9 30 wfmd welcome back this is chris murray your financial editor on free talk radio 9 30 wfmd at wfmd.com and of course go to apple podcasts and you can get the podcast there uh, wrapping up our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Mark Mills. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a faculty fellow at Northwestern's, uh, Northwestern University's McCormick School of Engineering and Applied Science. Uh, you've seen him, his stuff all over the place, Wall Street Journal, USA Today. Uh, he's been a guest on Fox, NBC, etc. Uh, he holds a degree in physics from Queens University and served in the White House Science Office under President Reagan. And um, Mark, you know, the one, one of the pieces that I just mentioned before the break that you uh, penned is the tough calculus of emissions and the future of electric vehicles. Um, how are we going to uh, really make sense of this and, and quantify um, if, if, if this whole uh, process is, is working? Yeah, I, you know, I wrote this piece because it's been a, a head-scratcher to see the constant refrain that we're going to cut. And this is the whole goal, by the way, as I'm sure you know, with, with uh, California, this administration, with the uh, Britain, Britain, countries all over the world, going to ban internal combustion engines because everybody knows for a fact that electric cars cut carbon dioxide emissions. That's the reason. Not because consumers are clamoring for them. Some are, but most aren't yet. Uh, but because we have to do it to cut carbon dioxide emissions. Set aside whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, the real question for, from a science perspective is, do we know that for a fact electric cars cut carbon dioxide emissions globally and will do so in the future? And the weird answer, when you look at the technical literature, despite constant refrain that's obviously new, is that we actually don't know how much emissions are cut. And worse than that, there's a very high probability that emissions reductions will be close to zero and might actually increase as we increase the use of electric cars. This weird fact is not the result of where you plug the car in, or that matters. Obviously, if you have an electric car, plugging it in Norway, essentially all hydropowered, you know, that running the car doesn't emit carbon dioxide, either to make the electricity or drive the car. If you plug it in in Germany, where they still get a lot of their electricity from coal and natural gas, despite a decade and trillion dollars of wind and solar, you don't reduce the carbon dioxide emissions very much because of the uh, emissions from the power systems, which there are still necessarily a lot of oil and gas and coal, but if you count the energy and materials and the carbon dioxide emissions associated with manufacturing that battery, the single battery, the battery that takes 500,000 pounds of materials mined to make one battery, when you count that, you find out that the emissions from doing that, just making the battery, can be as much as the emissions over the entire life 
of a small internal combustion engine car emitting carbon dioxide for 10 years. And if those materials come from places we really don't know very much about, but in the future, those places where they're likely to come from, in, this, in South America, in Africa especially, and in Asia, then the emissions associated with getting those materials and processing them could actually lead to a total planetary, that is, not your car, emissions to make your car, higher than if you've just driven a very efficient internal combustion engine instead. This is not me making this stuff up, by the way. I've looked at the scientific literature. There's a lot of engineering literature on this. It's sort of, call it subterranean. It's not in the New York Times, in the Wall Street Journal either. Uh, in fact, even the Wall Street Journal published a piece, embarrassingly in my opinion, that repeated the myth. They did, they did point out that there are variables. Depends where you plug the car in and yada, yada. But they conclude that, you know, it's uh, going to cut emissions, more, you know, on, on average, always, everywhere, over time. And that's clearly not the case. We don't know that. And worse than that, we, what we do know is that the emissions associated with making batteries, mining the minerals and processing, those emissions are going up because the grade of the ore that we're tr- chasing, nickel and copper and manganese, obviously cobalt, and even more obviously lithium, those grades are declining and have been for centuries, declining ore grade, percentage of the mineral you want that's in the rock, declining ore grade means more big, heavy trucks, more mining, more earth moving to get the same pound of mineral. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's very strange how little attention has been paid to this. And it's, if it's carbon dioxide we're chasing, it is the single most important issue with respect to electric vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more, and that's why I appreciate you taking time to come back on again because this is a type of thing that uh, people are not hearing. They're not hearing the other side of the argument, if you will, and, and uh, you know, nice, uh, truthful um, data and information and where they can go to get it and, and, and that type of thing. So I, I want to encourage everybody, go to Manhattan dash institute dot org uh type in mark mills m-i-l-l-s and you can get information on the uh, read the uh the information that mark has done in interviews and testimony etc and also he's got a new book the cloud revolution how the convergence of new technologies will unleash the next economic boom and a roaring 2020s so mark how did they get your book <laughs> The magic uh, Amazon machine or Barnes and Noble. The publisher sells the books. It'll be on newsstands November the third, uh, so it's good. But it can be pre-ordered now. You know, there's some, there's some, uh, several chapters on energy in my book, but the book is really about the broad trajectory of our economy of the next this next decade. It has relevance to energy. If we have a lot more growth than people are expecting, and I think we're going to then that will create more wealth, more traveling, more vacations, bigger houses, more houses, more energy consumption. So I think the energy pundits are are missing something when it comes to fundamental demand. Uh, But it comes to what will really change the future, it's not going to be electric cars. I mean, electric cars are nice. Teslas are kind of cool, good for Elon Musk. But making a car electric instead of internal combustion, to to make an obvious analogy, is not like going from the horse and buggy to the car. It's like changing the food you feed a horse. It'll change the winners and losers. It's still a horse. Right. The car is still a car. The revolutions that are going to move our country and the world 
are much more interesting and foundational than that, which is what I'm, which, what my book's about. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. And again, folks, uh, you can go to Amazon and pre-order it, The Cloud Revolution, How the Convergence of New Technologies Will Unleash the Next Economic Boom and a Roaring 2020s. Uh, that just sounds great. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for being with us. I hope to uh, have the opportunity to talk to you again in the future. I, I, I'm delighted to be on. I'm, I'm happy to, to join you. And I only one quick nit. The, the electric car story is not the other side. It's the side. It's what, just the facts. Right. Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> facts matter. You can have any side you want except your own facts, as they say. You got that. No, thank you for, uh, for pointing out that and all the other information. So enjoy the rest <laughs> of your you. weekend. Thanks, Mark. You too. All right. Thank, thank you. you. So, um, yeah, great. Pre-order that book, folks, and um, go to manhattan-institute.org and check out Mark Mills. A lot of really good information that he has there for you. Um, That does it for us. I'll talk to you on the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick at uh, 550, 650, uh, live weekday mornings, and then we'll be back here next Saturday. I hope you have a great uh, rest of the weekend. Uh, Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. And that's where you can get uh, on the homepage the complimentary inflation and your retirement white paper. It's basically right up the alley of where we are right now with everybody dealing with this stuff. So I will talk to you uh, soon. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.